Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lohr, and today we're crossing over for a morning coffee with a very old friend of mine, Mr. Hide Arai, calling in from Paris. Welcome to the podcast, Hide. Hi. Nice to see you, Marcus. Yeah. I mean, please, an honor to be on this on this platform, your uh, podcast. Appreciate that, and that's my honor. And uh, before we, of course, get into all these great stories here, which uh, we've been already discussing the, the last few calls we had here, let me just sort of introduce yourself a little more to folks who might not know you. Hide, all right. and I'll get into a minute of how we met and all this stuff, and then we'll, of course, get into your stories. Okay. Here. So uh, Hide and okay. I know each other. For now, almost 27 years, we first met in 1994 at the Football World Cup in the U.S., where I, as a young man, I'd straight out of college, had a great opportunity to work there. And Hide was already there at that time working with ISL. So uh, we're going to get back to yeah, that it later. <laughs> it was Dallas, Texas. <laughs> it was in Dallas, Texas. That's right. June uh, 1994. That's right. Yeah. But uh, Hide has been had an illustrious career with Densu for over 20 years. And then the last 17 years spent with FIFA. So that's really the two big parts we're going to be looking into. What Densu, who it is, what they've done and, and how they shape the sports market marketing industry really in a in a very significant way, which again, I don't think everyone actually knows, but he has been there and of course will share that with us. And of course, FIFA had, you know, an interesting last couple of decades with a lot of exciting things happening, but also, you know, certain amounts of uh, challenges and, and Hide was there as well. And, and we definitely will hear his opinion and what happened during those eras. But, you know, as usual, we kind of always start a bit where it all began. And uh, maybe just to, again, frame a little bit for folks here, who is Densu, who's obviously mm -hmm. the company you joined there in the mid 80s mm -hmm. and this is how far we're going to go back so you know Denso was I think established in 1950 uh, is the leading advertising agency in Japan right. it's a company which in yen does about a trillion dollars worth of revenue in yen which in US dollars is about 9 to 10 billion US depending on the exchange mm -hmm. rate a bit so yeah it's a significant very large business one of the largest you know, I've got say advertising agents globally. I think it's in the top four mm -hmm. or five in the world. And because of its massive influence and this large advertising budget, it's controlled out, you know, for Japanese companies, especially mm -hmm. the way the Japanese company operate is quite unique, right? In a lot of cases, Denso really literally controls those budgets, right? It's not just it manages yeah, those, right. but it, it literally decides on what to do with it, which is very mm -hmm. different than maybe in, in Western world. It has a very powerful position and not just in advertising, but as I said, you know, we will get to that later. It obviously played that really significant role also in sports, which we'll get in there. But mm -hmm. let's talk a bit about it. You know, you joined them right. in the mid '80s as a yeah, young right. man, right. and right. tell me about it. Yeah, well, so I joined then to out of college. I was a student newspaper journalist, so right. I was kind of interested in media industry job. Then it happened to be, Densu happened to be there, offered me a job to start as the uh, commercial film producer. Mm -hmm. So, um, like a few, few years, I was producing um, Japanese television commercials. You know, All like right, okay. 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Right. So, that's that's how my kind of a first pinch of career started. I love it. Okay. Then, Densu's... First association and involvement with the sports industry really started in 1982. 
the World Cup, FIFA World Cup in Spain. Right. They are two kind of maverick guys of Densu who went to Spain, then started contacting FIFA and the other, I suppose, industry gurus. Uh-huh. These two, two Densu guys said, we want to have the rights. We want to have the right to sell those uh, advertising bowls uh, packages to our Japanese sponsors. Japanese companies, right, okay. And then I think in the process, these guys met Ostasler, then the uh, kind of guru or king of Dasra family, the uh-huh. owner of Adidas. Yeah. Then I think their um, kind of uh, friendship bond started. So Densu, Adidas, Dasra family bond started. Right. Who who were these uh, Densu executives? Uh, you uh, you know them or are they well? Yeah, known? yeah. I know them very closely. The um, one guy is Hattori. Uh-huh. He he passed away uh, around 1994 or five, right. unfortunately. But the other guy is Haru Takahashi. He he still lives on. Right. He sat in the Tokyo Olympic Games organizing committee. Oh wow! Yeah, he has been he has been like vice chairman of ISL. Um, senior executive position in Dentsu, so he's being around. So he was like really, really driving force of of, of sports marketing business at Dentsu. Right. Yeah, and and I think you mentioned before that Dentsu then had a took a role right to be in a, a sponsorship consultant or or agency for Asia, also for the uh, for the LA Olympics in nineteen eighty four, right? Nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Right. That was also part of this Takahashi Hattori legend. Right. They brought in the uh, uh, Fuji Film as the uh, Blimp sponsor, the official sponsor okay. of LA Olympic Games. Right. So it was like a tough competition against Kodak back then. Right. Well, people don't remember those films. <laughs> yeah, those, yeah, that's <laughs> so how we used to take photos. In, <laughs> right, right. But back then... <laughs> You know, like the Kodak and Fuji film were like a yeah, big consumer huge. goods rivalry. Correct. Um, so, so it was like a, it was a first big deal for Dentsu to get involved in real sports sponsorship. Right. right I mean, right. as as you may know, traditionally advertising agency doesn't take a risk of owning something, minimum guaranteeing something, right. financially. Yeah. But it was like the first time for Dentsu to did some financial guarantee to LA organizing committee and sell um, quite a few packages to yeah. uh, Japanese sponsors. Yeah. And like, again, like I mean, Seiko. you know, from, you know, you maybe at that time you weren't necessarily involved yet, but I'm sure you, you know, mm-hmm. these stories a bit. Um, again, how much risk was Denso really taking? Because it obviously was sitting on ad dollars already, right? I mean, so you kind of, right. you have a bit of a secure sense of what you're selling, right? Because you know what your what your clients, the budgets are, right? I mean, how, how did you see that? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of, you know, portfolio management, you know, right. Denso had like 3,000 clients. Right. So if Denso cannot sell, say this film package, you know, the silver light film packages to Fuji, yeah. they can look for somebody else. Right. If they can sell, say, um, audiovisual category to Sony, they can sell to Panasonic, for right. example. Yeah. So, yeah. 
That, yeah. that was the portfolio management into the stream. Yeah. So. Uh, again, it's, I think it's uh, anyone who knows those stories, I think it's, it's incredible what Dinsu did there. And it still does, right? It's not that they have stopped. It still does, yeah. Correct. And we'll get to that later as well. Now, again, the other thing, which, again, I think, again, for younger audiences here is this. Obviously, there was a bit of a golden era for Japanese brands, right? Um, right. And, uh, again, it is sort of, I guess, what, 80s and 90s, right, where Japanese yeah, brands exactly. were very powerful, you know, and, and really right. competed heavily against the big U.S. brands or European brands, whether it's with automobiles right. or, like I said, audiovisuals, the Sonys and the Panasonics of the world and right. Uh, right. NEC, you name it, right? And, Again, all yeah, exactly. that kind of happened a bit at the same time as well, right? Yeah, exactly. That was really like a coincided with like sort of globalization of markets. Mm. There was a Harvard Business School famous professor, Theodore Levy, wrote this paper called Globalization of Markets in 1983. Right. That was like sort of a sort of a mode, a model for Japanese brands to go overseas and start selling their TVs and automobiles, yeah, all those stuff like you know, Correct. JVC, Panasonic, Toyota, Honda, yes, all the big. Exactly. So it was kind of a, yeah. Dentsu was fortunate, I guess. Well, Dentsu was kind of a riding on the tide or riding on the wave of yes. those globalization of Japanese brands. Right. Yeah, no, really interesting. And now let's let's capture one more other um, significant fact here, um, and that is, of okay. course, how Denso then got involved with ISL, um, and okay. ended up owning a piece of it, right? Uh, and got, right. then we'll come back to obviously, you know, when you when you got involved in it. So, so again, again, just from a facts point of view, I guess it was what uh, 1984. Um, so after the the 82 World Cup, um, they uh, they did a deal with with ISL, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, well, there was a little twist on that too. After 1982, the FIFA marketing commercial rights were owned by, um, to be precise, owned by Coca-Cola company. Okay. So 1978 to 1982. So that's why they used to be called, under 20 competition was called the Coca -Cola. FIFA Coca-Cola World Youth Championship. Right, okay. Um, and then back then, the Coke rights are represented by two Brits, two British guys, John West and Patrick Nally. Yes. Patrick Nally still lives. Um, so the company called West Nally yep. was running the show, 1978 Argentina World Cup to 1982. Right. Then during the World Cup 1982 in Spain, the Dassler, host Dassler um, broke the deal with well, Haberange, the president of FIFA, and Sepp Blatter of uh, FIFA general secretary. So it was like Dassler, host Dassler really overturned the ownership of the rights. And he right. took over the rights from West Nally. I had a couple of, I had some, you know, ex-ISLs on, on the podcast before as well. And of course that name host uh -huh. us, come up many times and everyone seemed to always have a incredible, uh, positive things to say about Horst, right. uh, of what, how smart he was and, and what incredible businessman he was right. on, on so many levels. So, um, right. so he always then cut a deal with Dentsu and, and they took what, 49% right. right of ISL, yeah, I mean, which it's a large, that's a large piece, right? Yeah. I think back then, Dastard family needed some kind of money 
coming out of Asia. So when right. I heard he contacted the dentist rival companies in Asia, but I think in the end, because of the uh, LA Olympic sponsorship experiences, other expertise, and also for Adidas, Jap Japanese market was becoming more important. Yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, I mean, again, that's, I, I, that's not something which I've heard, and, and it's so well documented, really, that, that you know, everyone, you know, anyone who's done a bit of history on sports marketing will come mm -hmm. across ISL, but that Densu is mm -hmm. actually right behind it with a very large stake. I don't think that is as well you know, recognized. So, which, again, this is sort of why we're talking about it right now and want to make sure that people really hear this out loud. So, so you know, right. so they're there in 84 now, they're a partner, right. and of course, you know, doing what they do at that time. As I said, you are still in a very different part in the in Densu. Um, you're still dealing, right. I think, with what some of the, you're doing some international magazines and and European broadcaster uh, media exactly. rights sales, right? Yeah, just talk a bit about that. Before I, I was moving saying, to the sports yeah, I was stuff. saying more more like uh, not media rights per se. Just I was like a salesman selling the uh, airtime and sponsorship of right. MTV. The music MTV was pretty big back then. Okay. Also, Eurosport had just started. Mm -hmm. Also, um, BSB before merging Sky. Right. Okay. There was a broadcaster called BSB. Yes. Then Sky, and another company called Box. So uh, we're selling those airtime to mainly to Japanese sponsors. But so um, when you these were the channels in Japan, or these were the global channels you were selling it for? Oh, these these were the channels in Europe. In Europe, ah, so, right. To any so so there, there were needs of Japanese sponsors to advertise in, in Europe. Europe, got it. Yeah. So okay, like JBC, Sony, Panasonic. Yeah. yeah. So how do you then transition from there into your sort of first kind of role um, in sports with Denso? Um, where was that moment when uh, when it sort of when you go went into there? Oh, um, ninety ninety. I had kind of a um, international training program, paid by Denso, sponsored mm -hmm. by Denso. Mm -hmm. So I was sent to U.S. like for one year and studying at the, um, the short exec program at Columbia University and stay in New York. Right. And then the real association started. Okay. You know, 1990 was a year for World Cup Italy. Yes. Then I was, nice I, one. Yeah. I remember well. All right. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> we, yeah, we won, the right team won that one. <laughs> oh, you, he, he, he was framed. <laughs> okay, I don't want to hear about that one. He was given, given to Germany, West Germany. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, I mean, Maradona yeah. was crying. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he, he had cheated before anyway, so it doesn't. Oh, count. yeah, he has cheated 86, yeah. <laughs> so then, you so, know, I met these uh, Dentsu, Dentsu Mavericks, and they, they uh, started hiring me. Okay. In the uh, sports sports division of right. Densu. Okay. And so, I mean, you know, again, you know, looking a bit at some of the, the, the points you've mentioned here before. So all of a sudden there is Tour de France and the, the, the Olympics right. in Barcelona and right. the, the World Championship of Track and Field in Stuttgart. Uh, what, right. what role were you playing there? Because, fine enough, the 93 
uh, IWF event in Stuttgart was mm -hmm. my v very first event. It was even before I got involved in the World Cup, of course, in 94. That was my very first internship as an MBA student at ISL. So you were there as well, I guess, but obviously you were properly working there. So what was oh, your well, kind of role at that time? I was doing like, you know, um, sponsorship sales and activation. In the modern day, they call it activation. So sure. I was I was in charge, in specific to Stuttgart, I was in charge of TDK. Okay. The TDK was a yeah, big, um, sponsor. big sponsor and banner sponsor. So right. the TDK wanted to do some events, marketing, activation events around around the event. So um, I did like um, I don't say it's, it's a freak show. It was it was like a, a training training shows by a um, long jumper Mike Powell. Okay, Mike Powell was a world record holder. So yes. uh, TDK and we did the uh, kind of promotional shows in town of Stuttgart. Uh. Also, uh, we hired. Um, Kind of sub track, you know, the training track of um, of the uh, Stuttgart Stadium. Right. So we, we gather on um, some uh, media and then some kids to train on um, yeah under the uh, under the instruction of Mike Powell so, how to how to fly eight meter ninety. Now you said <laughs> you also in the sales side, so you were actually pitching sponsors, Japanese sponsors, yeah. um, packages for whatever, Tour de France and yeah. Olympics and yeah, so exactly. on. Okay. I mean, to just go back to that time, you know, what was the right. sort of price points? I mean, what, what was the sort of numbers which you were putting out there and, and Japanese uh, companies were buying into? Do you remember? Just yeah, it, was, it was pretty, I mean, it's 30 years ago. So compared to now, it was yeah. pretty, I would say, low number. Um, yeah. I remember... I sold the uh, sponsorship package to Panasonic in 1994, mm -hmm. no, 1995, Gothenburg. Gothenburg, well, that's a championship. Yeah, it, was like, world champion. it was like, I think it was like six million plus BIK, value in kind, you know, provision of TV sets on right. Media Tribune and OB Compound, et cetera. Right, right. So it was, it was like six million plus 1,000 TV sets. Right. Something okay. Like. okay. Yeah. And that was what uh, I guess that we had didn't have euro yet at that time. I guess uh, so. Whatever. I guess in US dollars we're talking here, right? Um, yeah, it was US dollars. Right. Yeah. So you know, did you then on the back of it, you know, uh, by selling and I guess then you doing the client servicing and the activation as well. Right. So that gave you a chance, I guess, to go to the events itself, right, and be on the ground and, yeah, exactly. and get the exposure yeah. there. That must have been quite exciting. Yeah, like you know, Barcelona games. Um, back then, Japanese sponsor, we had like four or five Japanese sponsors back then. Okay. It was amazing. It was like, nowadays, much smaller number, but yeah. like Panasonic, Rico, Brother, Typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. company probably doesn't exist much anymore. Yeah. And Seiko. Yes. It was like, close. it was like, Fujifilm, it was like five sponsors. So yeah. it was like. Yeah, no, interesting. And, and and like you said, you know, there was obviously you know some big rivalries, right? And Fuji and Kodak was probably as big as it gets, right? right? Um, well, Kodak what, yeah, was, I guess, the Olympic sponsor, right? And Fuji ended up being the World Cup sponsor, sponsor, right? Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So Fuji was like you know World Cup sponsor. Correct. So they they are very cautious, cognizant of the uh, ambushing each other. Right. So, so it was like 
you know, Kodak was an Olympic sponsor, top sponsor, but, you know, Fuji cannot do much. So, yeah, Fuji was okay. was like, you know, there was a big, like, almost like ambushing scandal was like Amex against Visa. Visa was an official yeah. Olympic sponsor. Right. The Amex advertised heavily around the Barcelona Games. Their, their headline said, you don't need a visa to get to Barcelona. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah There's that, some interesting stories. I mean, of mm-hmm. all of the sponsors you work with, if you look at the, mm-hmm. you know, the list of big Japanese brands, which were the ones you felt really did the best job and, and maximized that exposure and, and, and maximize and leveraged, you know, the brand, uh-huh. you know, if you pick one or two? I guess I would say Sony, Sony and Panasonic. Okay. Sony came on to join FIFA partnership in 2000, 2006. So they started, they've done the sponsorship for two cycles. Right. 2010 and 14 World Cups. Right. And, and that's what yeah, about they, PlayStation here, right? That is really the main brand. Yeah, that that's like PlayStation, Correct. televisions. They, they, pay, they pay huge money. For, for the FIFA sponsorship. Um, and Panasonic, Panasonic, they were obviously, did, they're, they're Olympic, right? They were in the Olympics for yeah, years. Yeah, the Olympic sponsors, yeah, top sponsors. I would say they did a good job, um, you know, promoting their technologies and brands and products around the event. So um, they did all the uh, giant screen installation. Right. Example in the Salt so, so Lake City Games in 2000, um, that's really big thing. So, right. and they also, if I remember, you know, didn't they also go into cameras and and some of the you know the the broadcast oh, side right. of it, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was like up until like late 1990s, like you know, broadcast equipment business was like Sony's market share was like 90 percent. Right. So the Panasonic, yeah, in infiltrated into that market. Uh, especially forging a good relationship with OBS, the Olympic Broadcasting System. Mm. So um, back then, around the 2000s, I think 100% of the OBS equipment was... was yeah, uh, so they really they didn't just bring money, but they brought technology and, of course, their, you know, their products and services to the games right. or to whatever the event was, right? I'm sure it's similar with NEC... Yeah. I'm sure they were heavily involved in some of that um, for for the track and field side of it. It's funny, yeah, actually, that, that when we were talking about the 93 uh, AWF event in Stuttgart, that's why I first met Papa, Papa Dyke. Papa uh, Yes, and, uh, you know, <laughs> obviously there's a whole story behind all that, uh, which has already been on a podcast. But you, did you ever, did you work with him a bit or, or uh, you know, in any of this? Because he was at yeah, ISL I mean, at that time too, right? He was, he, was, he was a colleague of mine at ISL. Okay, okay. Um, he, he was mostly traveling around the world. Well, I guess one thing, being an African, he doesn't like Lucerne, Switzerland, as an environment, <laughs> living environment that much. Right. And uh, he was living with two other ISL colleagues, but I guess, yeah, he didn't like that much. And then there was a, there was a kind of an unsavory story about him was like he's Back then, there was no um, mobile phones. The international phone calls were so expensive. Right, right. So it was a, it was a, there was a rumor that he, he kept calling his sisters in Senegal. <laughs> <laughs> his international phone, phone bill. 
40,000 Swiss phones. Okay. Uh, I, well, I wouldn't write that off. Popeye is a character. That's for sure. Yeah, Popeye's Now, the, yeah. as you just said, you, you guys were colleagues because, you know, from, you know, you obviously, I don't know whether is the right term, where you were seconded mm -hmm. or, or there's a, you know, mm -hmm. period of time where you were, you had an ISL business card, right? So 94 mm -hmm. to 97 here. So That's right. you were working there, obviously, as we said earlier, uh, then so owned a slice of ISL. And then I guess right. you were there to represent, I guess, the Japanese interest um, and or the Japanese sponsors, right? Is that let's let's talk a bit about that. Those three, four years there um, in ISL for you, uh, because you worked almost across all the different uh, I, things that we're doing, right? I, FIFA and IOC, you name it. We went to we went to South Africa together in 19... January 1996, mm -hmm. there's an African Cup of Nations, right. you know, the CAF competition yes, in South yes. Africa. Right. And then Papa was sent out to South Africa by ISL's, by ISL's um, football department head. Uh -huh. Back then was Stephen Dixon. Yes. Um, Stephen Dixon was very disciplined, very strict very hardworking guy. So Stephen doesn't like Papa's working style, floating around and moving around, <laughs> talking to too many people. Um, he, he was like really, yeah, cutting down and almost like pressuring Papa. You know, he, he, he just criticized Papa, making so much... Um, advanced, unfulfillable promises to Coca Visa. Right, okay. About, yeah, no, sorry, Coca Massacre. Right. So, so, so he, like, Papa was like belittle figure in the, in the um, African Cup of Nations marketing operation group. Right. And one day, one day Stephen told, um, told Papa, um, Papa, um, Buy or rent some uh, picture frames, you know, to decorate our offices. You know, make this office look, you know, temporary office look more professional. Uh -huh. the, the papa said, "No, Stephen, I don't have any money." Okay. <laughs> and papa, papa, look at me. I was sitting next to him. He said, "Papa, here, could you, could you rent?" Could you rent me your credit card, the corporate credit card? I said, no, hell no. I don't want to give you my credit card. You're going to spend, <laughs> spend like thousands of Swiss funds out of this, my credit card. So that was like a last day, one of the last days of Papa in ISL. Right, okay. Right, right. Uh, interesting. I mean, exactly. We ha had Papa on, and of course, you know, his story is a little different. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, whatever. Somewhere in the middle is always the, probably what what is the truth there. Um, so you know, mm -hmm. your role then in ISL uh, now for those few years, as I said earlier, is you know, you were in your FIFA. The ISL was representing FIFA and even UEFA. You know, the IOC, In terms of you know global rights and global federation, it doesn't get any bigger than this. And as you've said already, you know, major Japanese companies were sponsors, Canon, Fuji, JVC, uh -huh. Seiko, you name it. Um, right. So, you know, were you at that time you were, I guess, already in Lucerne, right? You were in the ISL offices there. 
um, That's right. being that sort of eyes and ears on the ground there, right? Um, so was it really mostly just liaising and making sure that the these big sponsors getting what they're supposed to be, what they're paid for? Or how would you describe your role there during those times? Well, like, I was kind of halfway between, like, well, the ISA colleagues joking me called, I'm a dentist spy. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was part of the deal, part of the part of my, part of the gig as well. All right. Just make sure ISL has been had been managed okay. Right. You know, not spending too much on any um, new investment or any uh, irrational investments or anything like that. Mm. So I was attending like uh, these um, financial board meeting, um, okay. sometimes management board meeting. Right, right. So uh, you were, you were like a, almost like a representative of Dentsu there to, not necessarily on a board level, but on a more operational level to watch what yeah, ISL was doing. Level. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. And then also do the sales to uh, Japanese sponsors, right. like uh, like Rico, Panasonic, um, JVC. And then also um, I help some the uh, marketing operations, sports operations, like ISL, when the event takes place for like IWF or IOC or FIFA, is just I have to be on site, just doing make sure the uh, advertising boards are in place and camera positions are okay, etc. So that was my job at the World Cup. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I did. Yeah, yeah, it was hey, like we had, we had same to start thing, somewhere. Same thing. Yeah, yeah same exactly. Thing. You're lining up lining the boards up. before the match, and you know, making sure the camera angles all work. And that's funny. Yeah, all work, exactly. Yeah, that's the old way of doing it. Uh, but looking uh, back, you know, looking back, you know, Marcus, it was ISL was an amazing company. Yes. Who, if you think about who owns all FIFA rights, UEFA rights, IOC, and WF. Yeah, doesn't get and any there bigger. are a few of us. Yes, small federations like FIBA. Yeah. But, like, uh, now, here's a question again, and I've always asked this to anyone who's ever worked with ISL is what do you think from your perspective is what went wrong there, right? Was it just greed? Was it stupidity? Was it a combo of many things? Um, because you obviously had left already. You moved back into Denso already by that time. Right. Um, it all went, right. went up in smoke. But you know, right. it obviously, like I said, from being such a dominant player, you got you have to yeah. make a bunch of mistakes to then disappear right. completely, right? Right. I think I can I can attribute that the failure of ISL to those one is management stupidity, <laughs> right? And yeah, really over expansions, right? And no control. Right. The back then ISL had the um um. The Dasla representative called Chris Malms. Mm -hmm. He was the host Dasla's sister's husband. Right. And he was sent as sort of a Dasla representative. Right. And he was he was the CEO. Right. But, and I think um, it coincided with uh, Horst passing away, right? I think it was. Yeah, Horst passed away in yeah, 1987. Correct, correct. 1987. Yeah. And then also another factor is the the founder of team marketing, Klaus Hemper and Jürgen Lenz yeah, have it. departed ISL right. around 1990, 1990, 1991. Mm. So 
I still kind of lost the key management people and all powers concentrated on this Chris Mom's. Mm. And in around 1997 to 2000, you may recall there was the first dot-com IT bubble. Yes. There's a lot of IPOs, a lot of uh, floating started in the stock market. So around, yeah, I think since around 1996 to 2000, ISL started aiming for, uh, aiming for an IPO, mm. especially uh, idea of this Chris Moms. Chris Moms was the uh, University of Pennsylvania Wharton School MBA graduate. So he sort of a kind of his own agenda, own idea of making ISL to do. publicly listed company and right. gaining billion dollars get retired. Right. But in, in the process, ISL made a stupid investments like, you know, um, this uh, ATP tennis. Yes. They, they paid $2 billion, right. invested in the uh, Formula One uh, McLaren team, right. half billion dollars. Yeah. And, and also they had some investment in South American football too, right? And they buy yeah, some South American football, there. like yeah. Vasco da Gama and the, those uh, Brazilian teams and Argentinian yeah. teams. That that was a pure stupidity. Nice. Also, um, yeah. Also, the um, Chris Moms hired um, the guy named Heinz Schutenberger, who, who came from Mobenpick, you know, the restaurant okay. chocolate. Ice yeah. cream chain. Okay. He had no idea of what sports sports, sports marketing is. Right. Um, these two combination was like so odd, stupid, irrelevant, incompetent. So right. that led to uh, yeah, it's a shame, and, and and it's it's yeah. interesting to hear your perspective on that because as I said, you know, it was you know anyone who does a bit of you know digs into the history books of sports marketing i mean mm -hmm. isl is as much there as it was img in in the us and mm -hmm. in other parts uh of the mm -hmm. business uh that was what isl was with and obviously img is still around and you know still right. doing what it does versus you know isl is gone here so now so in your case obviously then we we're getting now into sort of 1998 here france world cup in paris or in sorry mm -hmm. the world cup in france paris um right. right. and uh and i think you're back in dentsu now you actually you know going to the you're in the dentsu paris office i guess and, exactly. and working there right. so um you know that is um, you know, again, that was just a natural move back into the Denso fold, or or how did that sort of worked out? Yeah, it was like probably you know after three years of doing some um, spying on ISL, <laughs> <laughs> fighting fighting against uh, Chris Moms to protect the Denso investment. I, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to kind of move away and a little bit more, a little bit glamorous kind of, you know, champagne and wining and dining in Paris. <laughs> right. Why not? <laughs> and then, Which is yeah. where you are now today again, funny enough. No, 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 that's <laughs> anymore, you know. And it was it was good working for um, working for Dentsu and liaising with the uh, the organizing committee of World Cup France 98. Right. Yeah. So in, in the process, you know, I, I get acquainted with Michel Platini right. and uh, 
Jack Lovell, the uh, the organizing committee CEO. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a good two years, yeah. and uh, yeah, uh, the Great World Cup. Yeah, Great and, World and, Cup won by France. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, then again, I guess right after that, right? I guess it looks like it. You sort of headed back to Tokyo. Um, right, and you set up a whole new division, or sort of, you know, or a part of a, a whole new department, right. department, which now is going after TV rights, right? Which again wasn't yeah, exactly. really the business Dentsu was in before. So let, let's talk a bit about that. You know, the you know again now we're sort of you know late nineties, early two thousand here, where mm -hmm. all of a sudden you know, of course, the TV business around the world, pay TV and everything else is is booming, mm -hmm. taking off, and. Again, I'm sure Denso sees it and, and wants the size of the action. So, what was Denso doing at that time? Oh, uh, it was like, in a way, being an advertising agency. So, Denso had been sort of uh, more leaning toward sponsorship side. Mm -hmm. So, they never want to put their foot into TV rights or media rights. Right. Also, media rights, you have to own it, as you know. Yeah. You have to kind of gamble, buy the rights, and you have to distribute that. So there's always you have to do some kind of risk hedging mm -hmm. rather than taking the big risk of, say, buying English Premier League rights for $1 billion, Then, then to, it being an advertising agency, you cannot sit on one big chunk of rights like EPL. Yeah. So... Well, back then, by the way, EPL rights were so small, much smaller. Yeah, of course. 1998. Um, but anyway, so so it was it was like right timing. Um, then to uh, my immediate boss were really um, eager to get into media rights and TV rights business. And mm -hmm. um, we only started like the department only had like. U.S. Open tennis rights in Japan mm -hmm. and some swimming championship rights in Japan. That was it. And when I joined back then to then right. to sports marketing division, then then when I the first sort of a big deal we did was with Italian Serie A rights for 1999 to 2003. It was like a four year deal. Mm -hmm. um, and through the process, um, I met with Jerome Bauk, the the later Secretary General of FIFA. Yes. He, he was with Canal kind of Plus, Plus Sports right. Plus. Yeah. Sports Plus. They had the so rights he, to Italy. Were they selling those or? Yeah, yeah. He yeah, he, he had the uh, he had the worldwide rights okay. of Serie A at that time. Right. Part of the part of business, I think, extra part. How do I say? coming out, saving out of their traditional business of right. owning rights in France and Italy. Yeah, yeah. He expanded into the business to uh, Sports Plus. Right. So it kind of our, Jerome Brauch's growth as big rights businessman was kind of coincided with Dentsu's strategy to grow a media rights business. I see. So we made many, many deals with Serie A, uh, La Liga, uh, smaller ones like Belgian League, uh, etc. So, okay. And you were yeah. involved in the now, so you're buying, you're acquiring, uh, or what is yeah, your buying, role in it? Buying, 
Uh, also uh, selling the distributing at the okay. same time. So, so it, and at the yeah, beginning, more. sorry, was it you were mostly buying Japan rights only, or you were already buying Asian white rice or or global, or what was the sort of remit at that time? I was like initially buying the uh, Japan rights only. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, get the FIFA World Cup rights for Japan. Right. Two 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 six. So two two was Japan was a host Japan, country. So yeah. that, was, that was a big deal. Yes. Also, like Bundesliga rights. We got the rights. I got the rights from Ufa Ufa Sports in Hamburg. Right. Now, of all of them, again, currently you're still buying it mostly for Japan. Um, if you look back right. at all this, you know, the list of things you bought, I think at one point you mentioned you also had uh, Major League Baseball, right? Which I think was yeah, one of the right. biggest, really, right? And of course, anyone who knows a bit about baseball and the connection between Japan and and mm -hmm. US is, is, is a huge sport. And of course, some of the biggest stars are Japanese or right. have been Japanese over the years. Um, so, right. you know, in now we're still again here sort of in the early, let's say, 2000s at that time. How mm -hmm. big was it already at that time? Was Were there already Japanese players in the league in, in the US playing and therefore that's the reason the rights were so big or what drove that? Yeah. The 1995 was the first year the, the Japanese player joined Major League Baseball. Okay. With Hideo Nomo, the pitcher for LA Dodgers. Okay. Then all of a sudden, the Major League Baseball rights became so big. Um, before 1995, it was like it was like pennies. It was like hmm. few thousands, you know, few yeah. thousand dollars. Right. And, and is it? I mean, again, do you you know, looking with just at, at, at whatever you might know, and still if you follow it, uh, you know, has that growth continued? I mean, is you know, Japan is still obviously a major baseball market anyway, right? In mm -hmm. its own right, with their own league and mm -hmm. all this stuff. But uh, you know, but the MLB, I believe, is still uh, it's a it's a massive package there, right? So it has continued yeah, to grow, right? Yeah, it has stayed flat. Like you know, Japan's major public broadcaster, um, NHK, not last few years, but at, at its peak, they were they are broadcasting like four four games per day, mm. <laughs> four major league wow. baseball games per day in the different channels. So the my friend at MLB was telling me. The NHK is the largest baseball broadcaster in the world. Right. They are broadcast. They are roughly 2,400 games of MLB. Mm -hmm. They are broadcasting like 900 games per year. Wow. At one point. And obviously, it must have been on multiple channels, right? I mean, I can't. You can't. Yeah, multiple channels. Well yeah, like three, four channels. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, and, and again, that that's sort of why I'm picking a bit on it is also. You know, anyone who ever gets involved in distribution of rights, you know, we all know the world has dramatically changed. But one thing which yeah. never fails is that if you have local talent inside, right, that yeah, what exactly. drives rights, right? And I think looking at Syria, I think the reason it was so popular in Japan is similar, right? You had some good Japanese players, yeah. right? You had some national team players who played there, right? So it's it's a lot of it's a bit of parallel, right? Would would, would you it's agree? It's parallel, right? In Nakata, right? I think right. the like in Germany, NBA rights became big because you have yeah. decent yeah. German yeah. players in yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah, Vizky. Yeah, um, yeah, no, exactly. I think that is it's it's just such a good one, you know. Again, for you know anyone listening, that those things do work. Um, there are plenty of great examples, and 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 Japan has always been. I think that uh, you know, I think there have been even I know stories about the league, especially Syria and others, where 
they deliberately mm-hmm. targeted that, right? They deliberately yeah, exactly. did this because they knew the rights fees there would go and, and in a sense almost kind of refinancing that investment then in the in Japanese talent, right? Almost on the back of it. Yeah, exactly. I think the Serie A was the first one, then followed by Bundesliga. Right. I think now the Bundesliga has the the most number of Japanese football players. All right, okay. Yeah. As as an European league. Right. So now, do you think that still works? I mean, you do you feel you know was that a nice trick which worked before, but the Japanese all you know fans or the Japanese public kind of mm. got bored of it, or it still catches the imagination there? I think it still works. Um, as I look at Japanese media, right. not only TV but like on on net and portal, right. normally they only cover um, Japanese players. Right. Like you know, Japanese players and football, Japanese players baseball. Yeah. Only, only a little bit on Lionel Messi, or only a little bit on Mike Mike Trout or those big stars. So, right. but it's, it yeah, so it is still heavily focused on their own stars, right? Whether it's in golf right. or tennis or wherever they show yeah, up, right? Yeah, golf is the same way. Yeah, golf sure. when Japanese players win the Masters and then. Correct. All of a sudden, growth became big. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Now, I, I want to chat a bit about AFC because, um, uh-huh. you know, again, I'm not sure whether you were involved in this, but um, Denso also had a stake in World Sport Group, which, again, exactly. is, isn't well known uh, in most circles. Uh, and I don't right. have to remember, I can't recall when they did this investment. Uh, it might have been uh-huh. mid-90s when Denso, when uh, Shane started, right? Um, right. So now that, again, was sort of one of these little quieter uh, arrangements where, you know, obviously Denso, again, brought that huge firepower and the Japanese money right. into the Asian Football Confederation, both from course sponsorship and from a from a media point of view uh, were you right. all involved in this or, or you know a bit about it or no i was i was not really heavily involved in the dealing with seamus o'brien mm-hmm. but um seamus o'brien um teamed up with jack sakazaki yes that's right the uh you know, old friend of mine JSM. so seamus and jack team up so initially, Jack invested into World Sports Group. All right, okay. Then, then somehow, um, Seamus, Jack came to Dentsu. I, I guess asked for a little bit more investment. So Dentsu started investment investing in right. World Sports Group. That was like 1996, 7, 8. Right. So, yeah. yeah, AFC package, you know, AFC... Like in World Cup qualifying matches, AFC Championship, all those games matches are very correct. Yeah, 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 they're huge. I exactly. Value. I value. Yeah, you have a Japanese, you know, not just the national team playing, but even the club teams obviously do well in a in the in the AFC competition. So again, like huh. you said, you know, there is that local appetite and interest for it, right? Yeah, but yeah, but now times have changed. You know, you know, this uh, Patrick Murphy and. Yeah. DDMC has taken over AFC. Now they became AFC marketing. So correct. Yeah. Now now it's uh, no dense environment. No, uh, yeah. I mean, do you see them? I don't know how much you follow it. You know, obviously you're mm-hmm. sitting in the FIFA world now, and therefore I'm sure you see a bit what the AFC is doing. Um, mm-hmm. Do they struggle because they don't have that big firepower of Denso anymore behind them, or are they partnered up? They still partnered up with agencies there, or are they really doing it on their own? What What do you see happening there? 
Well, I think to be to cut the long story short, this AFC marketing, the Patrick Murphy's company, is heavily relied on relying on the Chinese money. Yeah, yeah, the DDC investors. Sure. Yeah, I think their plan, their financial plan, is recuperate their investment through. Uh, Chinese money, Chinese investment. Yeah, that's the key market. Yeah, yeah Patrick was on my key. podcast as well, so we, we kind of went it, but I don't know all this stuff. But just you know, see whether what's the parallel with what Seamus did with Japan, which at that time was obviously the key market, and and now maybe right. you, know, you can argue China is the key market where maybe yeah, the, no, the bigger money market. could come, would could come out of or should come out of, you know. But that doesn't mean Japan isn't important to the puzzle there. I'm sure till today, and it will be going in the future. Um, so, so you, you know, so you spent several years there, um, and that kind of led into where you are now, right? Um, let's get into the exactly. world of FIFA. Um, so how did, how did you ended up from doing what you're doing there? Um, all of a sudden you're landing, uh, you know, in back in Zurich. <laughs> well, yeah, back in, back in Japan, I somehow wanted to move on, move back to Europe, kind mm -hmm. of, in a way. Somehow I have more industry friends in Europe than in Japan and kind of, you know, I, I didn't like the Japanese lifestyle that much, like especially the business circle. <laughs> you have to go out, you have to go out, entertain your yeah. clients like almost every day. Yep. Yeah, like, you know, going out for drinking and dining um, in the Japanese way. So it's like almost like, 24-7, you are dealing with yeah. the Japanese broadcaster or something. So it wasn't... It wasn't, I it wasn't thing. It wasn't, my, my, it wasn't for me, so probably European lifestyle fits better than... Yeah, then, yeah, I had you know, a few contacts back in Europe, including John Bauk and Massimo Migani of Right Trade, and so I just... Wanted to move on, then I moved to Switzerland, Zurich, Switzerland, 2003, mm -hmm. as sort of a, as a segment from Dentsu to, um, there was a Dentsu Publicist joint venture in Zurich for 2003 to 2007. So mm -hmm. I just worked there for one year, then I decided to um, join, join FIFA. It was kind of a, Fortunate timing, um, Jerome Bauk joined FIFA in 2003 mm -hmm. as, as as marketing director from right. Sports Plus. So he was there. So actually, you know, on, on some business talk, I was dealing with him. So I, I just, yeah, decided to um, it was time Change to move ships. on. Yeah, I mean, you know, after yeah, at that Change time, you've been, as I said, 20 years with, with Denso, even though you kind of, kind of moved around the world, right? You weren't really only in Japan. Obviously, you were in many yeah, stops exactly. around the world. So clearly never a boring time, I'm sure, even if it was the same company. But here you yeah. are now at the Federation side, right? I mean, yeah, it's a, right. I would argue, somewhat a big shift, right? Going from yeah. being an agency and always sort of, you know, representing the client side of it. And now you are right. the client. How was it? I mean, just, just was it a bit, was it difficult or just a very natural thing because you spent so much time with these federations anyway? Well, I would say it was kind of easy, yes, but kind of different in a way, kind of no. 
because I thought when you when you're in a commercial entity, you've been driven by commercial commercial denominator only. You know your your task, your assignment is make more money. Mm-hmm. And whatever happens, yep. make more money, make more profit. Right. You know how many how many millions, how many zillions you you make money for dentists. That was the commercial benchmark. Right. But w- once you're in federation, you have to deal with something more. How do I say, corporate? Something more um, federation, politically correct. Right. So like, you cannot just jump on to make more money only. Right, right. You have to take care of certain federations needs. You have to take care of certain confederations opinions. Right. Like, like, you know, I mean, if you, if you, for someone who's not from the industry, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just doesn't, you know, doesn't know how this works. I mean, the statement of saying that federations are really political animals isn't probably mm-hmm. far off, right? From your own experience, would you be correct? Yeah, that's right. So right, because... federations are political, so it's, it's kind of, you know, as you know, the, the commercial company is driven by money, driven by shareholders' voices. Yeah. You know, if you make more money, your stock price go up, then you you'll be you'll be celebrated. But FIFA is not like that. Mm. If you make three billions more, but you have to say gain gain sort of a social approvals and popularity from the federation stakeholders, which is which is FAs, mm. which is which are like uh, a football association. So uh, in a way you have to please different stakeholders than commercial ventures, commercial companies. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no. Yeah. Now let's let's dig a bit around here. I mean, you know, when you joined, uh, again, what was your role, and and you know, and how has that role obviously been involved? You now, seventeen years. I'm sure usually you're doing multiple things, um, mm-hmm. but you know, with your background in advertising, working with sponsors, mm-hmm. and 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 now mm-hmm. at the end of part, which we talked about already, you were heavily involved in media rights. I mean, you you come obviously oh. with a great skill set there. Uh, but what did, what was it really what FIFA needed you or wanted you or you were doing with them over those years? Oh, uh, just Jerome hired me as sort of a deputy director in charge of business development, both in media rights sales and sponsorship. Okay. Um, it was oh, it was in a, in a way lucky. FIFA was in the transition period from ISO bankruptcy, right? Also, Kiwi Media bankruptcy, right? right. So. FIFA lost the two commercial arms in media rights yeah. and sponsorship. That, and so I mean, there were rumors FIFA will go and blow up, right? I mean, uh, if I remember yeah, was, those like, days. Yeah, FIFA, well, uh, yeah, FIFA was FIFA was in danger in of trouble. insolvency Correct. Yeah, around 2002, 2003. That's right. So uh, it was a period of transition. FIFA set up its own commercial body called uh, FIFA Marketing and RGA. Right. right. In, in Zug, Switzerland, also to salvage the financial status, FIFA went on to went on the financial market 
get the uh, ABS asset asset back securitization. Okay. So so FIFA get the infusion of billions of dollars through a financial market. Interesting. Yeah. 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 That's right. It's, that's an, now, so. So yeah, I mean, obviously, FIFA got his house back in order, and and you know today are are back on 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 uh, you know on on strong footings there. Uh, but like you said, right. you know, there there were and and it obviously again had a lot to do with that agency or the agencies behind it just creating right. a huge mess. Um, right. So you know, so you know, so from two four, let's say the first, let's say ten years there. Um, uh-huh. You know, again, you know, FIFA had its own. You know, once it got out of that, it kind of got itself in right. the next challenge year, right? But uh, you know, before we get into so two fifteen, which is sort of another watershed year, obviously for FIFA, uh, let's talk uh-huh. a bit about the the first ten years, maybe um, some of the things we were doing and and what you saw. You know, we got what two thousand six World Cup in Germany. You were already mm-hmm. there. You got two ten mm-hmm. South Africa. I mean, all you know, mm-hmm. major events, very successful again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so. Well, you know, it's just into some interesting stories around those events or things that, which you were doing at that time. Well, it was, I would say, it was really FIFA turned into commercial, commercial-driven entity. Mm. Like first ten years was under the leadership of Jerome Bauck, right. in essence. Okay. So he was driving. You know, he started selling the sponsorship package like. Twice as a higher price than the previous packages. Right. Um, he, he was successful. Also, we sold we sold the um, we, we sold the TV rights by ourselves um, worldwide. Um, he, the revenue was like revenue jumped like I would say like 400 percent. The QISL uh, guarantee was. 2.3 billion Swiss franc for for two cycles. Right. Now we're getting like five billion dollars for two cycles. Hmm. So it was like yeah, more, more than more than 250 percent of increase. Yeah, um, Yeah, it was like. So was so you were really and, like, and you had specific territories where you were in charge of or. Yeah, I was in charge of whole Asia, mm-hmm. whole Asia and Africa. So right, okay, and, and that was yeah. both sponsorship and TV because at the end of the day, you obviously had experience in both, or were you focused on one more than the other? Uh, my my weight is more on media rights, TV rights sales. Right. Um, the initially I helped the um, Sony deal to come in, right, uh, as a, as a FIFA partnership, so. The initial contact with Sony have been initiated by myself, and then Jerome went in and make make a big deal, made a big deal out of Sony. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I mean, Jerome, I you know, hopefully one day he'll be on the podcast and, and we'll hear uh-huh. his side of the story on it. Of course, as successful he's, as he was, he had some mm-hmm. an unfortunate departure, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where he got mm-hmm. tangled up into the. Uh, Mastercard, uh, Visa, Saga, and mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. in my view, uh, was sort of left out hanging dry there on it. Again, you know, I know you, uh, you, you for you is maybe a bit sensitive, but you know, what, what were your mm-hmm. reading of it, and, and what is it? What, what how you would describe what happened there? 
<laughs> that's that's very difficult to difficult to comment yes, the yes. massacre visa stuff to change from massacre to visa was driven directed by Sepp Blatter. Right. Okay. So, so we had the almost yeah, we had the equivalent offers, the same offers from visa and massacre. Right, okay. And we have part sign contract on the table. Right. So massacre sign, visa sign, and it was like FIFA's choice to execute either either or. Right, okay. Well, maybe this is sensitive. Well, but it's, it's still in the already in the. Uh, yeah, some of that is, ju- is exactly. Judge, judgment is in the public record of correct, correct. Federal Court of New York. Right. So, yeah, because then, they had matching rights, right? And that's sort of where it all went up a bit. Pear shape, right? Yeah, pear shape. I mean, so the massacre had been FIFA sponsors since since 1986. Right, yeah, long. Time. So already they, they were the FIFA sponsor for twenty years. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, massacre was told, "No, we're going to choose Visa. You, 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 you are let go." Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, I understand massacre's indignant. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think everyone yeah, could follow um, that. Yeah. Where was there, why was there the sense of that they wanted to switch? I mean, the money is the same, everything else is the same. It was just, you know, where would that be the logic there? I only can only can guess. Mm. But um, before that MasterCard visa court case, MasterCard was suing, doing a few um, litigations against FIFA. Ah, uh, right. For one, one instance was, remember two globe logo of FIFA. And Massacre mm. picked on that. Massacre said this is too similar to Massacre logo. So um, Massacre triggered litigations against FIFA. Clearly it wasn't handled right, I would say, on so many levels. If you look back at, you know, in 94, when you were when we were both at the World Cup there in the US, you know, I think FIFA mm-hmm. had what you said, 30, 40 people maybe. Yeah, 30 and, people. Yeah. Yeah, and now you are a thousand people strong, yeah, thousand. you know, which again, right. uh, when you mentioned that last time, I, I was blown away the size of the organization. So, let's talk a bit about that, right? Uh, you know how FIFA has grown, and in a sense, also how how re how it's completely changed itself um, mm-hmm. and all the things it's doing. And, and I think one of your comments was that basically everything was somewhat brought in house, right? From previously, yeah, brought in house, yeah. But, everything but, is internalized. Yeah. Also, like something like modern day. New division has been created. You know, now we have sustainability division. We have the pitch management department. We have yeah. <laughs> all those things. We have the ticketing agent on, on our own. Right. We internalized the whole ticketing agency, ticketing department oh, inside. Right. Okay, I yeah, didn't realize so. that. Hide, thanks so much uh, for your time here. Uh, this was a lot of fun uh, spending a good hour with you a little more, uh, you know, reminiscing around your Denso career. And of course, we had a chance to take a little look into the FIFA world. You know, obviously, since mm-hmm. you're still there, um, certain comments and answers, of course, are sensitive, which I fully appreciate. So uh, that's why we kept that part a little shorter. But uh, mm-hmm. okay, great to connect again. Um, I wish you all the best here. Um, you know, we got a FIFA world. World Cup around the corner again next year, which I'm sure you'll be in Qatar. And, uh, you know, hopefully everything goes well there. And uh, hopefully I'll see you there. Thanks.
Yeah, it was great. I think we can continue talking about these episodes, anecdotes with you over wine or nice drinks in Kuala Lumpur or somewhere in Asia. Absolutely. That I, that we'll I love do to do. We keep doing yeah. that. So uh, you have a good day there in Paris, uh, where you are now, and of course Zurich, which is your normal place of operation. And uh-huh. uh, we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, great. Great to talk with you. Thanks, Ide. Thank we'll you. Have a nice later. day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.